jump in. We're beginning a new series today on <clears throat> Proverbs. Um, we would have begun last Sunday, except you're aware, aware that, or many of you are aware, that I was not here, that I was called away because my dad had a stroke. So last week I spent <clears throat> up until about Wednesday with him, and then um, the prognosis is, or the diagnosis is, that he's didn't have a big stroke, he's had a massive stroke. The entire left jugular is blocked, and so therefore it's knocked out a fair bit of the left-hand side of his brain. He's affected the right-hand side of his body, can't move his arm too much or his leg, can't get up yet, or he couldn't until then. He's in rehab now, but it's also affected his speech. The right-hand side of his right side of his tongue is paralysed, so he can't swallow, can't form words. But the stroke has also meant that he, he cannot access that part of his brain where the language is stored, his vocabulary. And so the brain is a remarkable thing that God has made. And uh, maybe through rehabilitation, God's goodness, then maybe some other pathways will develop over time and he'll be able to uh, again communicate and perhaps uh, movement improve and those sorts of things. Um, the doctors have said quite categorically and, uh, that he will not return home, that uh, they'll try rehabilitation and depending on his amount of improvement will determine which level of care he goes to. And they're sort of preparing us by saying that he probably will uh, move more towards nursing home care where he may not be able to feed himself, so he'll need someone to feed him, rather than independent aged care. That would certainly be his hope and my prayer, but we'll wait and see what determines. So this week I returned to see him and to uh, have a conversation with my sister about uh, the house and the furniture and the ute and all those sorts of things, and that process has to start now. It's complicated because... We come from a small country town. They're a lot smaller, but in Narandra there are no car sale yards, so I can't sell the ute in Narandra. I have to figure out how to do that. And Gary Chedasco gave me some good advice after this morning's service. Um, and there's no real estate agent in Narandra, so that's in another country town, so we have to go there to line all that up. And So I keep asking questions and I don't have answers for, so please pray for me this week as I return and... I have a conversation with my sister and our relationship is not uh, great, not strong. Uh, Cheryl had her own, has her own issues. She had an aneurysm, I don't know, eight, nine years ago and has never fully recovered. And so she's not well again. She can't drive, so she's sort of bound in Narendra, which means she can't get across to see Dad. So he's got no visitors that I'm aware of. Uh, maybe some friends will go across, I'm not sure. So... That all just adds to the sadness of this for me. And uh, though the doctors are saying he will not go home, there's part of me, my brain says, OK, I got the message, but emotionally I haven't accepted that yet. I'm sort of denying it. I'm sort of hoping against hope that he'll get better than maybe than what he will. So pray for me and for wisdom to do exactly what is the right thing for him. Thank you, Michelle, for praying for him. He's not yet a believer. Um, and up until recently, he's been pretty resistant to it, dismissive of it and... But you never know, God can meet us in all of our points of weakness, can't he, as you rightly prayed. So that's an update um, from where I'm at. Uh, thanks to Josh, who's going to step in tonight and preach for me tonight, and Warren, I think, next Sunday night. And, and I should have really got somebody else to do this morning, but anyway, we'll see what gobbledygook comes out of my mouth. God is remarkable, you know. Of, um, I spoke, gave this talk at the first service, 8.30, and... 
I don't think I've ever done it before, but I haven't put page numbers on the pages that I get. And so when I move the pages across, they've come back, and I don't know what order they're in, honestly. So let's see what exciting stuff God is going to deliver to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, here we are, your people, together, in your presence, demonstrating to you that we love you, that we're committed to you, that we honour you. And Lord, we want to learn from you. Thank you for your gift, the Bible. Thank you for your spirit. And we pray now that your spirit might take this portion of your word and that he might enlighten us. Lord, we do desire to be wiser, to make better choices on a consistent basis that can become more, so we're more godly and more like Jesus. We thank you for the advice, the directions that this book contains. Help us to mine all the riches in it. Lord, speak to us this morning through it, and then in the days and weeks ahead, help us to read and to absorb your truth, your directions. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his honour and glory. Amen. Who wrote Proverbs? Solomon, go back a page. I trust you've got your Bibles with you. I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, in particular over the next couple of weeks, because we're going to jump through different bits of Proverbs. The theme that what we're going to do over the next couple of months anyway is that for about the next three weeks, I think it is, I'm doing Proverbs. End of July, Pastor David will come and he'll start four weeks on another series. He's going to, I think, he's going to do one of the Gospels. I think it's John. And I'm not sure how far he'll get in about four weeks. Uh, knowing David, probably up to about verse 4 of chapter 1. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Um, so he may get the first chapter done, he may get the first two chapters done, wherever it gets to. And then he'll pause after that, and then I'll come back and do Proverbs for four weeks or whatever, and then he'll come back and do John and so on. So we're going to leapfrog each other for a little while um, for the next few months, either until the Lord Jesus returns or until I get bored with doing that and change it again. So we're doing Proverbs for us. So I encourage you, as many people have over the years, I've done this off and on, and I'm sure many of you have, is that the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters in it, and there are how many days in a month? 31. Well, in most of them. And so what people do, Billy Graham has done it, I think, probably for most of his life, I haven't done this, is that on, depending on the date of the day of the month, today is the 7th, so today you read Proverbs chapter 7, tomorrow is the 8th, so you read Proverbs chapter eight and so on throughout the thing when you get to the end of the book the end of the month you start again and you just read it through that way it's not a book that you can just simply take and read like an, uh, uh, any other book in the bible because you'll suffer from information overload there's a lot of truth in it in concise succinct statements proverbs and the author as we started to talk about is solomon proverbs chapter one verse one the proverbs of solomon the son of david King of Israel. And then you jump over to chapter 10. Chapters 1 to 9 is um, almost like a very lengthy introduction. There are extended stories and chapters. You can certainly read those chapters through like other parts of the scriptures. But when you come to chapter 10, again, the heading says the Proverbs of Solomon. And then again, that's repeated for us over in chapter 25 with a slight difference. These are other Proverbs that Solomon um, of Solomon, that the officials of King Hezekiah of Judah copied. So again, it's Solomon's Proverbs, but for whatever reason, uh, 250 years later, Hezekiah's officials 
take these proverbs and put them together and the book is compiled. The book ends with two groups of sayings. Chapter 30, the sayings of a guy called Agar or Agur. The words of Agur, son of Jacke, an oracle. And then the last chapter, chapter 31, is that very popular and well-known chapter. Um, the words of King Lemuel. Who's King Lemuel? Well, some people say, many commentators say, that's just another pseudonym for Solomon. It's Solomon again, just under a different name. Well, that's not a fact, that's an interpretation. But it's interesting. It's an oracle that his mother taught him. So if it is, his, is Solomon, then who was his mother? Bathsheba. And if that's the case, then it's her instructions to her son about finding a godly wife. This is Solomon. What does the Bible tell us about him? When you think of Solomon, what do you think of? Bit louder. Wisdom. Solomon is the man, the wisest man who ever lived. That's his acronym. That's his what we say. And I'll read you in the scriptures why we say that in a moment. I don't think of him being the wisest man. I don't think I do. I think of him as a womanizer. How many wives did he have? Thanks, Pete. The, um, and Nathan. Uh, I, I get this mixed up. I just haven't been able to remember it. It's either 700 wives and 300 concubines, or it's 300 wives and 700 concubines. doesn't matter. Either way, it's 1,000 women. <laughs> and changing that biblical word concubines, which is still a current ph phenomenon in our world, not in our culture or country, but in other cultures it is, they're mistresses. They're people that he has a sexual, ladies that he has sexual relationship with, but to whom he's not married. But he keeps them. They're part of the harem. 700 wives, 700 marriage ceremonies. The wisest man <laughs> who ever lived. And interestingly, Solomon begins the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, um, with. The advice of a father to his son. This is Solomon speaking to his son, Rehoboam. And you'll get that ten times, particularly through the first nine chapters. This is king's advice to the next king's son of how to behave as a king and how to live your life. It's more than that, but that's certainly the focus of it. And he begins by saying, son, stay away from bad women. It's good that Solomon writes that, isn't it? And the end of the book, it's got a bookcasing to, you know, the, anyway, book ends to it. Chapter 31 is about the virtues of a godly wife. Stay away from bad women and find a godly wife. And it's described there for, her, for us what a godly wife is, and we'll look at that in the weeks to come. And it's interesting, they're probably the words, perhaps, of Bathsheba, his mum, who wrote those words, not Solomon himself. If we go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, we'll find out why Solomon or how he got this wisdom. And many of you will know this story. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. That's a verse that's worth noting. This is Solomon, the king of Israel, God's anointed and chosen ruler. It says he loved God. And he followed in the paths, the statutes of his father David. He Obeyed God like David did, except he also sacrificed to some idols in some high places. Here is a king who loves God who's not perfect, just like us. 
Here is a king that has areas of compromise in his life. And it's just that with Solomon, those faults are just amplified on a massive scale. He's a man of unimaginable wealth. He has a thousand women in his harem whom he is feeding every day and clothing and looking after for all of the days of their lives. So we're talking about massive wealth. He's now the king. He's just become the new king and he goes to God and he has a prayer. And he goes into the temple and he spends all night there. And God comes to him and says to him in a dream, verse 5, ask what I should give you. What do you want? And Solomon prays, verse 9, Please give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. Help me to be able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this great people? So Solomon is in a condition of being simply overwhelmed with the responsibilities that are his. And he goes to God and he says, God, can you help me out? Can you give me the ability to discern? Can you give me wisdom, understanding, insight that I may govern rightly? Verse 10 tells us it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding, able to discern right and wrong, I will now do according to your word. Indeed, um, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you and no one like you shall arise after you. He is the wisest man who ever lived. I give you this, um, I give also what you haven't asked, all those other things, riches and honour and so on, and there will be no other king shall compare with you. If you walk in my ways, which he doesn't, if you keep my statutes and my commandments, which he doesn't, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. So he didn't get that blessing, but he does get the wisdom Over in the very next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 4, the fame of Solomon's wisdom, God gave Solomon very great wisdom, discernment and breadth of understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all of the people of the east and all of the wisdom of Egypt. And then there is a list in verse 31 of half a dozen very wise characters unknown to us. He composed, verse 32, he composed 3,000 proverbs. And his songs numbered 1,005. He would speak of trees from the cedars in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows in the wall. He would speak of animals, birds and reptiles and fish. People came from all nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They came from all of the kings of the earth um, who had heard about his wisdom. Where does Solomon get the wisdom from? God. And he writes it down, 3,000 of them in fact. And some of them, not all 3,000, are collected for us now in the scriptures in this book that we call Proverbs. What's a proverb? It's, we have proverbs in English. I was taught proverbs when I went to school. People quote proverbs to us all the time. They guide us. They're an observation on life and a clever saying to help you steer you on the right path, usually morally or just in terms of good, sensible things common sense things to do what's a proverb a stitch in time (laughs) a stitch in time what does that mean not many stitches here are there you're better off doing things carefully and properly the first time but then you otherwise you'll have to redo it and it'll take longer so if you're going to do it do it right a stitch in time Take your time, but do it right. 
will save nine, having to come back and repeat it again and again and again. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Look before... Who thought of that witticism? Look before you leap. Do you follow that? (laughs) It's a place of honesty, that's true. Um, And so on. We were taught all those sorts of sayings. Um, Make hay... What does that mean? I've never made hay in my life. Rhonda has. Farmers have. Make hay while the sun shines. When you've got the opportunity, take it. Do it straight away. Well, they're sort of secular, worldly observations on life and they're helpful to guide us. And sometimes they're contradictory. Look before you leap and make hay while the sun shines. What do you do? Um... Look at the sunshine before you leap. I don't know how you put it together. Well, the Proverbs that we have are going to be similar to that. Hebrew Proverbs, the word that is translated Proverbs in English for us is the Hebrew word mishle, which simply means to be like. It's to put side by side, to compare or to contrast. And that's exactly what happens. There's usually two lines. There's the first line and the second line either repeats that saying or it'll contrast that saying. Sometimes it'll just repeat it for emphasis, to drive it into our brain. Sometimes it'll add extra information to it. So it's in the same line, it just takes another step and it adds. And through those three different sorts of ways of doing things, you'll work your way through Proverbs. Um, They are all intended to be very practical with a Godward focus. It's how to live in this world, in this life, in every ordinary day, in a way that pleases and honours God about all sorts of little issues. God spoke in the Old Testament through his law and he spoke through his prophets and they painted the big picture of things, the Ten Commandments and so on, what to do and what not to do and how to avoid it. And the prophets came and called people of God back and to hold themselves accountable to the law of God. But Proverbs goes another step. It gives us very common, sensible advice. It's very practical. I know this one, as I told the earlier congregation in Proverbs 27 for in, these are just examples and for instances and over the next little while it'll be good for you if you could read it um, 27 verse 14 whoever blesses a neighbour with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing get it? if you wake up early And at the top of your voice, you're saying, good morning, what a wonderful day. You'll be considered to be a painful curse. It won't be a blessing. I lived with someone where that proverb was exactly right. She's now married and lives with her husband. But Kate, you could not greet her early in the morning under any circumstances. You have to let that girl wake up. And then adjust to the fact that it's a new day. And let her have her coffee. And after she's done that, then you could consider saying good morning to her. But not before. Not if you valued your head and you wanted to keep it. Well, Proverbs is like that. What a lovely bit of advice to give. What a disastrous dad I would have been if I didn't know Proverbs 27.14. I just read that and I actually smiled. I thought somebody else, some other dad had a daughter like I've had. 
Well, Proverbs is like that. Some of it's funny, some, it's all about life, some of it's serious, some of it will torment you. It's all practical uh, and you've got to think about it. Do you look before you leap or you make high well sunshines? Uh, different one applies in different circumstances. So do these. Proverbs 18 verse 16. A gift opens doors. It gives access to the great. So you bring a present, a gift, it'll open the door of opportunity. It'll give access to the great. But before that, in Proverbs 17, verse 23, it says, The wicked accept a concealed bribe to pervert the ways of justice. Well, what do you do? Do you bring the gift or don't you? Well, you can bring a gift, but don't let your intentions be a bribe, depending on which way it goes. And so you have to do some work. Sometimes, and this is the most glaringly obvious one that I could find in Proverbs, sometimes it'll say what appears to be contradictory things, and in this case puts it side by side, to make you stop and think. And this stopped me for quite a while, not this week, but years ago when I first encountered it. Verse 4, Proverbs 26 says, Do not answer fools according to their folly, or you will be, like, or you will be a fool yourself. Don't answer fools according to their folly, or you'll be a fool yourself. Verse 5. Answer fools according to their folly, or they'll be wise in their own eyes. Well, I give up. What do you do? Do you answer fools according to their folly, or do you not answer them according to their folly? Well, you need to think about it. And there is an answer, but that's how the Proverbs are written, sometimes to provoke you, just like the parables of Jesus, to make you think. They are down-to-earth truths for everyday life. They're on the bottom shelf where everybody can reach them and so on. They are, generally speaking, not secular, but more orientated towards a Godward life. It's about righteousness, about how to live a good, moral, godly life. And generally speaking, people who choose to follow God and to live moral lives and to work hard um, will tend to reap the rewards of that. So teaches the book of Proverbs, and generally that's true. Not universally and without exception true, but generally that's true. Hard-working, moral people tend to do well. Um, most of Proverbs, not all, but most, is also just very simple and straightforward um, and they're good reminders, and they're like mirrors to hold up to us of God can use these to... Uh, are you like that? For instance, Proverbs 20, verse 4. The lazy person doesn't plough in, in season. Harvest comes, and there is nothing to be found. The lazy person, the sluggard. You'll find this person numerous times through Proverbs. Basically, you don't plough, you don't eat. You don't work, you don't get an income. You can't buy food. Makes sense? It's a general observation on life. It's basically saying, take responsibilities or there are consequences. That's what it's talking about. Well, you know that. Well, so is God. He's concerned about those sorts of things that we have that bit of wisdom is given to us. Or back in chapter 11 and verse 1, the Lord hates dishonest scales, um, but delights in accurate weights. The Lord hates. They're an abomination to him. But an accurate weight is his delight. God hates cheating and he loves honesty. Any questions? It's pretty clear. It's simple. It's direct. But it's worth, and the Spirit of God will do this as you read it through carefully. He will nudge you and prompt you. There might be some area of your life where, in fact, 
you're not being honest, that you are being deceitful, and God wants you to fix it. You want to have a happy life? Um, then follow these directions that God has chosen to give us in his word. Solomon certainly wrote Proverbs in a time of prosperity and of peace. That's generally true for his reign. And he wrote it to direct his son and the next generation of leaders and the nation itself so that they would stay on course, that they wouldn't lose God's blessings, which, of course, sadly, they didn't. They got off course. But Solomon led the charge. He broke it. And that's why I say to you it's just ironic that Solomon, the man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines or whichever way, book opens with a warning against bad women and it ends with instructions about women, a godly wife. Solomon got off track on that very issue. It's almost like he is saying, don't follow what I do, don't do what I do, just listen to what I say. Hopelessly inconsistent. The book of Proverbs tells us about many things to do. Obey your parents, seek wisdom, keep your heart, be faithful to your spouse, be kind to others. Many things don't do. Don't get into bad company, don't commit adultery, don't be lazy, don't befriend foolish people, don't gossip, don't be lazy, and on and on and on. It talks about relationships, and particularly in the first nine chapters, it talks about Solomon, the king, and his relationship to his son, and about his son becoming a king. And even the last chapter, 31, has instructions for kings, but also about our relationship with a king. If you go to the king and he places a meal before you, if you're given to a great appetite, you're better off putting a knife to your throat, he says. Well, you have to stop and think about what that's saying. But it's saying when you go before a king and much is put in front of you, be self-disciplined. Don't be a greedy guts. Otherwise, you'll never be invited back. Talks about relationships with good neighbours, about enemies, much to do with friends, husbands and wives, parents and children, relatives, fools, sluggards and gossips, people to avoid. It's all about righteousness, humility in ourselves, justice for others and the fear of God. And the amazing thing about this wisdom is that it's made readily and freely available to us. On a school notice board there was a sign which said, Free Wisdom, Monday to Friday. Bring your own container. <laughs> Free wisdom, Monday to Friday. Bring your own container. Don't. Same could be said of Proverbs. It's free wisdom. If you want it, it can be yours. All you have to do is slow down long enough. It's not a quick fix. You've got to commit yourself to it, to absorbing it, to thinking about it, and intending, aligning yourself with it, disciplining yourself, and correcting yourself where that's appropriate. God's wisdom is not aloof. In chapter 1, there's this analogy often in the first nine chapters that wisdom is like a woman, a good woman, and foolishness is like a bad woman. And so you've got to make a choice. Which one are you going to listen to? Wisdom or foolishness? The ways of God or the thinking and the ways of people and sometimes even of our own selves? Proverbs says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. We're born with it. We're born with an orientation towards foolishness, towards a way which is away from God's way. The verse goes on to say, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. That's the discipline, the daily consistent, week in, week out, month after month, of being consistent with a child, of training them in the way they should go, which gets them away from being foolish. It's a tough call being a parent. Great reward, but tough. So too for us as we follow God, we have to discipline ourselves. That's what it says in chapter 2. 
It talks about, uh, if you accept my words, receive them. If you make your ear attentive, clining your heart. If you pray about it, you cry out loud and ask God for wisdom. If you seek for it like hidden treasure, it's our response. What are you going to do with wisdom? Here it is. It's offered to you. Do you have to receive it? You have to incline your ear to think and work at it. You have to have a heart which is open and responsive to it. You have to pray and ask God to help you and to give it to you. It's exactly what James says. If anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask of God. Well, here is Lady Wisdom, chapter 1, verse 20. She's wisdom cries out in the street, in the square. She raises her voice. God's wisdom is not aloof and distant. It's he has come near. He has approached us and he's given it to us. He did it through a gift he gave Solomon. And now God speaking through Solomon is speaking to us. These are God's words. This is his observations on life through human servants. And God is offering us his very best, if we'll only listen, if we'll only slow down and pay attention. In Proverbs, God wants to help us out. He wants us to help us to make choices to live nice, kind, godly lives. He wants us to be happy. Well, this is the way of happiness. This is the way of peace. Does it mean there'll be no problem? No, doesn't mean that. But it means, generally speaking, there'll be more available to us, more, in, um, more opportunities to have those blessings in our lives because we'll be avoiding the things that cause the opposite, harmful, self-inflicted consequences to our sinful choices. The book of Proverbs chapter 9 says, whoever is simple, let them turn in here. Come, it's laid before you. So over the next little while, my suggestion is let's read through the book of Proverbs, just a chapter a day. And in the process of reading a chapter, you can try to analyse it and follow themes and keep a record of different themes. I've started doing that. It's difficult to outline, but to pick one or two of them, maybe three, that speak to you and even paraphrase them, say them in other words, and then seek to learn them, memorise them, record them in a place that you can access them. Because this is... God is coaching us. This is his advice to us on how we can live a life in this fallen world. That's what Spurgeon called it. This is uh, rules from heaven above for those on earth below as they travel through life. Okay. It's not a quick fix is what I'm saying. It's Jesus speaking to us. Proverbs is not about simply us improving our life. You know, raising it from a four to a seven. It's not about that. It is about us aligning our lives with God and his purposes. This is God's wisdom distilled in um, practical advice. To the point of a contrast, Proverbs does, there are two paths. The ways of God, wisdom. The ways of man, foolishness. This path leads to life and peace. This path leads to death and destruction. Exactly what Jesus said. There is a narrow way, leads to life. There is a broad way, leads to death and destruction. You have to choose which way will I go. It's a daily choice, a daily option. Driving the car, at school, at home, in conversations with people. These choices come at us all the time. Will I do this? Will I do that? Will I watch this? Will I watch that? Will I buy this? Will I not buy that? And so on. 
The book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The path of the righteous, this way, it gets brighter and brighter. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. Mark Deva paraphrased that by saying, the way of the wicked is like people who have said no to God and they've gone off to live their life their own way. They're like walking through a minefield in the dark with no map and with their eyes closed. Disaster will strike. That's what the book of Proverbs is basically teaching us and showing us how to avoid those minefields. There are many references to God in the book and I encourage you to read it through to make those observations because it'll teach you about God, what he loves and what he hates. And it'll surprise you. If you make a list of the things God hates and you think it's going to be, oh, the big ones, it will surprise you what God hates. And he responds to us in the same way. Of, That's not right in your life. But like I said before, we are born with foolishness in our heart and we have this blindness and we think we're better than we really are. In the book of Proverbs, God can use it to reveal to us our great need for his ongoing grace and mercy. So there are many references to God in the book. Look for them. And it simply means that God wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. And take the warning from Solomon, who had this wisdom, who said it. He just didn't follow it. So let us avoid the mistake of knowing it, but not doing it. So let's read the book of Proverbs carefully. Let's absorb the wisdom that God has given to us. Let's read it day by day, paraphrase them, applying it to our life. Let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are inclined towards us and that your intentions are good that you haven't abandoned us, that you don't mock us, that you care greatly about us and you care about every aspect of our life. Nothing is too small or insignificant for you. And here in this book, you offer us very practical, everyday wisdom. Lord, thank you for the abundance that you have given. Help us to not neglect it or to waste it. Help us not to ignore it. But Lord, help us to benefit from it and to grow, to grow in wisdom, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, to grow to be more like the Lord Jesus, who speaks to us through these words. So Lord, speak to us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.